What does a good life look like? When it's all said and done, what matters? What does a good life look like? Um, there have been many ph- philosophers and uh, thinkers throughout the centuries that have tried to answer that question. And for, for a lot of us, I'm sure if you've had some time to, to think about your own existence, you ever ponder that? What, what is my life about? You've, you've asked that question. You've, you've tried to answer it. Uh, what does a good life look like? Um, you know, every religion in the world tries to answer that question. And, and, and they all approach the same question, but they end up in different places and different answers. Um, you know, is, is a good life to escape suffering, to end the cycle of karma, of, of rebirth, like the Hindus believe? Is, is a good life uh, to create your own reality, to, to be everything that you can be, to be tapped into your own godness, and, and to see all suffering as simply illusion, like a new ager would believe? Uh, is a good life to achieve spiritual enlightenment through self-discipline and meditation and to reach nirvana like the Buddhists believe? Uh, or, or is it to repeat creeds and recite prayers in Arabic and to give to the needy and fast and make at least one pilgrimage to Mecca in your lifetime? And, and, and hopefully at the end, maybe... God would have mercy on you like the Muslims would believe? Or is a good life to get a nice paying job, to buy a nice house, to pursue happiness, to raise a good family with kids who listen every moment of every day, (laughs) and to live that life like many Americans believe is the good life? Um, What is a good life look like, I would propose that the good life looks something completely different than all of those pictures. Uh, And as we dive into Philippians again for the third week, um, we're going to see, I believe, a different view of what the good life or what abundant life or a life following Jesus is supposed to look like. Because make no mistake, we live in a culture in America where it's easy for us to think that we're following Jesus, and yet what we're doing is we're following culture instead. Sometimes it's easy to get the lines mixed up. And so in Philippians, we're going to see, I believe, what the truly good life is all about. So we started this a few weeks ago in Philippians, and what we've seen so far is that every time uh, Jesus comes into a scenario, every time the gospel goes into a new place, what it does is it destroys the barriers that come against it. We talked about how the Philippian church was founded and how the the first people in that church were people you would never have thought would be a part of a same community. Uh, You know, the first one, Lydia, a woman, was the first convert. And and what we see is that in that century, in in that time period, women were on a lower place in society than what they are even today, and yet we probably still have some room to work on. And what we see, though, is the gospel going forth and destroying a cultural, a societal barrier that we have, that we create, 
as human beings. And we saw uh, the, the status idea that, you know, some people believe because they have more, uh, more resources or some people believe because they don't have enough resources that they are of either higher worth or lower worth based on their net worth. And what we see is that to Jesus, no matter your status in society, you are of infinite worth. And so that gospel goes forward even into places where, uh, you know, to a slave girl and breaking her free. And then we see that the gospel came against this idea that Jews were inherently better than Gentiles, which is all of us unless you're Jewish, that they are inherently better. And it goes against that and says, you know what? God values Gentiles too. And we see a Roman coming to Jesus in Philippians. And then we saw last week where Paul was in a circumstance that uh, could have been a big barrier in him living out the life that God was calling him to. So we see that the gospel is going against the ideas of sexism, classism, racism, and now your circumstances. He goes through those things too to where he can give joy and hope even in the midst of that. And now today what we're going to see is the gospel going against probably the greatest barrier that we have as human beings, and I'm sure you would agree, and it's called death. Death. It's like, you know, 100% kind of rate that's happening in this world, yes? None of us are getting out of this thing alive, right? And so we see the gospel, though, come against that, and we're going to see what happens, we're going to see what happens. So Philippians chapter 1, uh, we'll read through the, the whole passage and then we'll kind of dive back in. Philippians chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 21 is what Paul says. Remember, he's in prison, you know. Uh, his faith is, is, has led him to prison. Hey, Paul, where's God calling you to, you know? Bluffton, you know, uh, New York, wh- wh- LA, you know, Europe, wh- where is he calling you to? Oh, prison. Yeah, that's where. Oh, you're going to do prison ministry. No, I'm going to be in prison. That's where I'm going to be. I'm going to minister to the guards, you know, uh, my other cellmates. That's where, we're, uh, you know, that's how it's working out for him. And this is what he says to this church. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one sh- I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound." Your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. So last week we saw Paul talking about his greatest desire in this moment for him as a person. He said in verse 20, right before we just read, that his eager expectation is that he would not be ashamed of anything, but that through his life, Christ would be highly honored through his life or through death, regardless of what comes. You know, so he's writing this knowing what could be coming for him. Like he could be on the precipice of death in his life. He could be toward the end. And yet he's the one who's going to this church and encouraging them. 
even though his circumstances probably weren't as, uh, their, their circumstances were probably not as bad as he, his was. And he's doing the encouragement. And so last week we saw Paul really, really just kind of tell them, hey, even though I'm having a hard time, even though this is difficult, guess what is happening? Even my circumstances aren't hindering the work of the gospel because the gospel is advancing in new places and new spaces with new people because now the imperial guards are coming before me and I'm getting to preach the gospel to them every time they have a time with me. Every time they're guarding me, they are getting Jesus. And Paul is now saying, hey, like, I don't know what's coming for me. I don't know what's about to, you know, happen. But I do know one thing. I do know one thing. And he says, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We're going to park there for a minute because I think that's, you know, like, what does that mean? No one talks that way. To live is Christ. What does that mean? To live is Christ. What does it mean to have Christ be your life? That's the question, right? What does that mean? Because maybe that's the key to the good life. Well, it's simply this. The good life, like life better than what you could ever imagine, better than your bank account, better than uh, your, your status, better than your education level, better than your relationship, better than uh, the moments of despair, better than your circumstances, better than any kind of thing that you can hope for or even grasp or even have. The good life is Christ. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> it's the Sunday school answer. What's the answer? Jesus? Yes. But he's saying like that is the answer. He is the answer. The good life is Christ. But here's the thing. Your life cannot be Christ until you are dead to yourself. Your life can't be Christ until you're dead to yourself. Because if Christ is your life, that means you are not your life. Not even you. <laughs> your life can't be someone else, something else. You know, what makes you feel alive? Even though my cowboys, when they are doing well, make me feel alive and I'm excited, they can, almost, they can also make me feel dead. <laughs> you know? uh, they are fleeting most of the time. What makes you feel alive? To live is Christ. Nothing else. Like, that's what it comes down to. That's what it's all about. Your motivation, your goal, your purpose, your calling, your, your passion, your enjoyment, your satisfaction, your chief end, your means of getting to that chief end, your success, your measuring stick, your thriving, your best life is Christ. It's like, that's what it comes down to, like finding yourself in him, living his story, not living your own, dying to yourself. That's, that's really encouraging, Brandon. Yes, that's what I came to church for. <laughs> Die to yourself. That's what Jesus said, right? If anyone comes after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily. And then, come on. That's what he said. To live as Christ. But we won't live that life. Here's the reality. Like, we won't live that life of, of denying ourselves and living to Christ if we don't have an awakening of who we really are and who he really is. 
you know, like we can easily look at the, the way Jesus works is, you know, he came to make bad people good. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. You see, the reality is without Jesus, we are all without hope, dead in our trespasses and sin. That's what sin brings on, death. And without Jesus, we're full of sin, full of death. We are walking dead. So like until we get to the point where we realize, you know what, even on my best day, it's not even close to being good enough. Even on my best day, I do not have what it takes to be in the presence of a holy God. Until we get to that point, we won't see that our life, everything about us, everything that we will do, want to do, should be him. Because he's the one who has given us freedom when we had none. He's the one who gave us life when we were dead. He's the one who gave us grace when we deserved hell eternally. It's only because of his grace that we've been set free. It's only because of his power and his life that we have life. And until we get to that point, to live can be all kinds of things other than him. Because we won't have the awareness of who we really are. Because of if, if we really are that bad, and I think we are, it's according to the Bible, get mad at that, not me, just the messenger. I'm in this with you. God's got a lot of work to do on me. You know, he's not done. It's a full-time job. Is it okay if I say that? Because it's true. Don't put me on a pedestal. The only one who deserves to be on a pedestal is Jesus. He was on a cross. That, he kind of earned it, you know. Um, until we get to that point, to live as Christ, we won't be willing to do that. But when we have our eyes opened, when the Holy Spirit gives us a glimpse of who we really are and who he really is, then to live as Christ, that's all it is. That's the source of our breath. That's the source of our life. That's the reason why we do what we do and why we don't do what we don't do. To live as Christ. It's, it's like getting to the point where we say, hey, this life, the, the thing I've, I'm, I'm living in, this body, these thoughts, these emotions, everything I've got, my will, my plans, anything, it's not mine. It's not mine. This life isn't mine. It's not yours. It's not yours. You are not your own. You do not own you. There's only one who owns you, who owns me. It's Jesus. He's a better owner than you, by the way. <laughs> better owner than me. He kind of knows where to go. Uh, you know, before, before I came to Jesus, I, I, made, I had like a decision-making paradigm that, that's different now, at least when I'm, when I'm really following him. You know, before Jesus, like I, I made decisions based on what would work out for me. You know, is this a good idea for me? Is this going to benefit me? Uh, you know, does this make me feel good? Does this make me happy? Does this make me uh, whatever it is? And, and, and so my, my paradigm was all about me, all about Brandon. That's what it was all about. But, but then when, when Jesus came in and made me very much aware of, of the fleeting nature of those decision-making paradigms and the fact that I was heading to hell, of the fact that I was heading to a place without hope. When I realized that and I, Jesus allowed me to come to him and surrender to him, then I had a new decision-making paradigm. It wasn't, hey, Brandon, is this a good idea for you? No, it was, hey, Jesus, is this what you want? 
Is this what you want? It's not, it's not about me. Uh, uh, is this the way you want me to do this? Is this where you want me to go? Is this, is this, if I do this, am I giving you more honor than me? And then also like, not just that, but our relationship with God has a very big impact on our relationship with others. So does this work out for someone else better than me? Because Jesus, you know, he kind of gave his life for all of us. So that's kind of the example that we have that it's not about me. It's about how I can honor him by loving you. And so that's a di- different decision-making paradigm. That leads me to different places, okay? That, that leads me to different, different opportunities. That leads me to lean into difficult situations because where difficult situations are are people who need encouragement and need love, right? That leads us to go to places that are uncomfortable for us but are the, the source or the, the vehicle in which someone else will be comforted. Like, that's just different. It's a different way of living. And when I'm actually following Jesus, that's the kind of decision-making paradigm I have to have. Uh, but that's a journey. So the key to living the good life, uh, or maybe we can call it maybe abundant life, would be a more biblical way of calling it. Uh, abundant life is found in the daily moments of choosing Christ over self. Of choosing Christ over self. Of choosing Christ over me. And I could just say that for the rest of the time I've got, and it, you know, because that really needs to just sink in for me uh, and probably for you too, because we are very self centered as people, right? That's the way this culture goes, it's the way human nature goes. We are very much interested in how this works out for me, first and foremost. I'm gonna get mine, I'm gonna do me, that's why it's gonna work. For those of you who don't know what I just said, young people, they do, okay? <laughs> Abundant life is found in the daily moments of choosing Christ over self. Because putting Christ first, this is what it does. It puts everything else in our lives in its proper priority. It puts it in its proper place. If we've got Jesus first and foremost, that puts everything else where it needs to be. And self, on that scale, it's a little bit lower than we really, really usually operate in. You know, Paul, Paul found joy in Jesus, not in being a man. You see all these barriers that have been addressed by the gospel. These are very personal things too. And they were very personal for Paul. Like he had a point of pride in being a man. Remember what G- Jews, Jewish men prayed? Thank God I'm not a woman. Because there was value above being a woman and being a man in that culture. And so, hey, thanks but now he doesn't find his joy in that. How shallow, how ridiculous, how wrong of us to elevate ourselves above someone else just based on our biological makeup. He didn't find joy in being rich or poor. In fact, he talks about finding contentment no matter what his bank account looked like, no matter how many donkeys he had, no matter how many tents he was making, you know, didn't matter. Like he, he said, I've discovered the way to find contentment, and that is in Jesus. He said, I, I don't find Jesus, or, uh, joy in being a Jew. Like that was a big thing for them. You know, Jews, 
saw that they were the people of God, and rightly so, because God said that they were so. But they forgot that the the promise that God made with Abraham, that he said he was gonna bless all nations through him, through his offspring, through a seed, they forgot that 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 seed was singular, not plural, that the way that they would be blessed by God is by going through Jesus, not by being Jewish. And so he had to realize, you know, there's, there's not much value in my ethnicity. There's a value in being a child of Jesus, a child of God, because he sees me as infinite worth, even, even a Jew and even us Gentiles, unclean Gentiles, you and me. He didn't find his joy in having an easy time. You know, he could have joy even in the midst of imprisonment. And then now he's saying, I don't find my joy in life itself. Why? Because to live is Christ. It's not me. To die is even better. It's even better. And what we see is that, you know, through these barriers that are being destroyed, you see, I keep repeating that because this has practical implications. It had practical implications for Paul, has practical implications for us. Every, all, every single one of us, we have things that we attach our identity to. And oftentimes, it's not Jesus. But that's the only one that we have any business attaching our identity to. It's him. And so what, 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 what we're seeing in Philippians is that all the things that Paul could have attached his identity to, and in Galatians we see him saying that he used to, he now has detached from those things and has attached his identity fully to Jesus so that no matter what he goes through, no matter what he's dealing with, no matter what his, his bank account is, no matter what kind of hope he has or doesn't have for this life here and now, no matter how good it's working out, no matter how many people are listening to him preach the gospel, no matter what is happening, no matter who he's ministering to, he is content because he has Jesus attached to his identity. He sees himself as a child of God. So two questions I think we can begin to ask ourselves in order to live the good life in Jesus. Uh, and maybe it calibrate us toward living that life. Uh, the first one is, does my life magnify Jesus? Is my life making Jesus bigger? Is Jesus becoming bigger in my life? If, if people around me, am I, are they seeing that Jesus is big? Or do they hear me and think, you know, that Jesus you worship, he must be pretty small. Does my life magnify Jesus? And then also, am I so satisfied in Jesus that everything else is secondary? Have I put him in his proper place on the throne of my life? Because to live as Christ, that's what that means, to magnify Jesus and to find all our desires satisfied in him so that he is preeminent in our lives. He is first place. To live is Christ and to die is gain. There's a second part of that verse and I know I'm just on the first verse. We're gonna get moving here in a second. But you see, through Jesus, because what he did, because he, he took the biggest barrier that we have as human beings and which is called death, uh, he went and because of what he did on the cross, because of his work, because the empty tomb was there three days later, because he rose and made his bed and got out and then started preaching and then ascended to the right hand of the throne of the Father, because of all that, death is not the end of the story for us who are in Christ. It's not the end of the story. 
The reality is when Christ is your life, then death just becomes a doorway to eternal life. Death just becomes a scene change in an eternal story. That's all it is. When you really think about it, when you really just give it a thought, give it a pondering, this, this life that we're living right now is really only the opening line to an eternal story. This is a, just a small little glimpse, not even noticeable, on the range of eternity. And so for Paul, he said, you know, because Christ is my life, because of what Christ has done, to die is gain. Like, that's even, I would prefer that. That's what he's saying. But then he goes on, and, and this is really interesting. Verses 22 to 24, he says this. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Somebody can say amen right there. I'm going to teach you guys how to talk back to me. It's much more fun that way, okay? <laughs> but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Do you see what just happened? You see what Paul just did? Guided by the Holy Spirit, Paul just said, hey, I see like how good it's gonna be. I see just how amazing it's gonna be when this life is no longer where I am, but I'm gonna be able to be with Jesus in a, in a way that is fully unblemished by any kind of barrier that is in existence. I can be with him fully. And yet... Here's where Paul goes, not to a selfish place, but to a selfless place because he says, hey, I see something in you, Philippian church. I see that there's still some work to be done. I still see that you're, you're allowing your circumstances to, to thwart you of your joy in Jesus. And so I see that and I see myself and I realize I'm just a, a tool in, in, the, in the hands of God. And I'm going to, I just, I think that, that if I go on living, this means fruitful work for me because I'm going to go and be with you. Like he looks at what he has promised for him and he says, hey, I love you. I love Jesus enough to choose and come and be with you when he could go be with Jesus. Selflessness, right? Would we choose that? Peace out, I'm going with Jesus, right? <laughs> and then he goes on in verse 25, he says, since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. I'm, I'm persuaded of this. I'm convinced that this is what's going to happen. So that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Paul's like, this is, it seems like next level stuff, right? It's like next level Jesus following here. But is it? Like, Paul says, I see some work that needs to be done. And so I, I think I'm, I'm persuaded. I'm going to keep going at this. My, my work is not done because God's not done with me yet. He's going to continue to use me. I don't see how it's going to work out. I don't know how this future is going to like happen. I don't know how this hope is going to actually be manifested into reality. But I see myself as being used by God to do what? To increase their joy in Jesus so that their boast would not be in their circumstances or lack thereof. Their boast wouldn't be in who they are as people, as society sees them. Their boast wouldn't be in their status or lack thereof. Their boast wouldn't be in the, 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 the way that they are influencing or being influenced. Their boast would not be in anything, anyone, 
anything other than Jesus. He said, I want you to be able to boast in this life. Why? Because you know the one who's got it all figured out. Not because you do, because he does. And so you can have a confidence and walk forward, and that's what he wanted to give them. That's what he wanted to give them. Like some, he wanted his life to be something that allowed others to experience Jesus in a fresh, new, and more meaningful, and more real, and a more abundant, and more good way. And we don't have to put Paul on a pedestal, okay? Dude said he was the chief of all sinners, you know? It's on his business card. He was very aware of how broken he was, of how dead without Jesus he was. And yet, God used him. And he can use you too. So what does a good life look like? Well, now we get to the practical part. Because here's the reality. We'll just make it real simple. The good life in Jesus, Jesus people serve people. Jesus people serve people. You see, Paul gave us that point right there without saying it, but showing us. Like, to live as Christ, to die as gain. What does that life look like? Well, he goes back and says in verse 22, he says, hey, um, to die as gain, that's gonna be better. But if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. So he says to live as Christ, so we get a little bit more of a glimpse of what living in Christ or living Christ looks like because he says, if I go on living and to live as Christ, so for him to live as Christ, and if he goes on living, so if he keeps on doing this, then that means fruitful work for him. And what does that mean? Well, he just kind of just walked us through that. It means serving them. The good life, the Jesus life, means serving people because Jesus people serve people. Here's the thing, like some of us have places of influence and every one of us has spheres of influence that we, that we, can, we can go in and we can, we can influence people in different ways, right? Some of us more, some of us less, but if you're breathing, you've got influence over someone. You've got influence with someone. And the reality is we look at Jesus and he was the greatest leader who's ever existed and he will ever exist. And at the night where he was about to betrayed, his, his, one of his closest friends would betray him. They have a dinner, okay? And he could have said, hey, gather around, everyone. I got a lesson for you. He didn't do that. He, he said, hey, come sit down with me. And then he got up. And he went and got a water basin. And Jewish culture, right, like they're, they, they've got some dirty feet. Usually they clean their feet before they go to the table because, you know, no one wants to be around that, you know. They're walking with like open sandals. You can just imagine. They didn't have cars, you know. They had animals that they rode and that's what was in the street, you know what I'm saying? You following me, tracking with me, you're on the same page, okay? Dirty, okay, yeah. Uh, and my feet stink as it is, you know, uh, but, but Jesus went to each one of them and showed them what the life he wants them to live looks like. He went to each one of them and with his bare hands washed their bare feet. <laughs> and many of us are like, that's disgusting. <laughs> that's the point. Usually this was meant for the lowest of servants. And yet Jesus, the greatest of all, comes down, lowers himself and says, hey, as I have done for you, go and do likewise. Why? Because Jesus' people serve people. Why? Because Jesus served people. 
And so Paul's just living the Jesus story. That's all he's doing. He's saying, even though I've got this amazing hope in front of me, this amazing promise in front of me, I can see that my life is not for me. My life is Christ. So what did Christ do? He served. Even when he was about to be killed. And so Paul, you know, the thing is, the Roman, Roman culture didn't require a, a, a trial. You know, he could have he been executed without all of the uh, things that we come to know as due process. And so as he's about to be possibly executed, he sees himself as a servant of others. What did Jesus do? As he was about to betray, be betrayed and crucified, he saw himself as a servant of others. Jesus people serve people. That's what we do. That's what we're called to. That's, that's what we operate in. Um, so the question then becomes, how do we do that? Well, we'll get real, real simple, real, real practical. Who are you serving? Who are you serving? If Jesus people serve people, if Jesus served people, and that's what we're called to do, who are you serving? Who are you serving? How are you being Christ to others? How are you pointing people to him? I'll even get even more practical than that. Uh, we have many ministries here at FCC, and many of you are involved in them. And thank, I thank God for you who are investing time in serving this body and serving this community. But we have many ministries that, that could use some more people. And we also have many ministries that are swirling around in my head that I would love to start. But guess what we need? We need some Jesus people to step up and serve some people in order for those things to happen. And, and, and so I want to make it real practical. It's not up there because we're having technical difficulties, but it's very simple. My email address is Brandon, get this, Brandon at FCCfamily.com, simple. You can even remember that. You can, you can text it to yourself. What I would love to see happen is if you haven't found a place to serve and you, you would grant me that, that this is what God's calling all of us as followers of him to, to serve people. If you would say, you know, I see that Jesus is all about serving people. I see that Jesus is calling me to serve people. I see that he lived and he died for me. And because of him, I have life. And because of him, I can have my life be simply him. If that's where you're at, like if you would grant me all that, then I would encourage you, just give it a shot. I just want to start a conversation. That's it. Not a commitment. Don't freak out. You know, just because you send me an email doesn't mean that you, you get, you know, in shackles to go serve in the nursery or something if that's not your thing, okay? By the way, my boys are adorable, so uh, they're in there, you know? <laughs> Preach! <laughs> but the reality is all of us have a gift. All of us have a thing that we can go and do. All of us have a thing that God has empowered us to do. Some of us are toes, some of us are elbows, and if you're anything like me, you're an armpit. But guess what? It's all important. It's all important. That's what the church is supposed to be. Everyone doing the thing that God called them to. I don't want just warm bodies and places because there's a need, right? That's not a good way to do things. Uh, if your passion is not uh, toddlers, then, then I don't want you to be with toddlers because they'll drive you nuts, Right? But if your passion is seeing those little ones 
start to see that Jesus is real and Jesus loves them, then I want you to be with the toddlers because you are going to be a gift to them for all of eternity. It's not just the kids, but there are so many opportunities for all of us to be the Jesus people who serve people, but it requires all of us to not say, oh, well, they'll go and serve. I know they'll go and serve or they'll go and serve. No, like it's, it's up to you and me. Like all of us have a gift. It's not, you didn't come up with it. It's not a thing that you, you, you came up with. You're not that good. God gave you something as a gift to use to gift to others. And that's what it looks like to be the church. It looks like using what God has given you to be a blessing to other people. And what that means though, is if Jesus people serve people, what that means is as Jesus people, we also have to be willing to be served because it's a two-way street. When, when, when someone offers to serve you in some way, don't be so prideful as to say, hey, I don't need that. You're robbing them of a blessing. That's what we do. And so that's a two-way street. It requires humility, and it requires us to say, you know what, I see that this is what Jesus is calling me to, to step out of my comfort zone and be in that place because that's where he's gonna grow me. Jesus people serve people. But the other thing is when Christ is your life, death is simply a scene change in an eternal story. That's all it is. It's a good scene change too. It's like, bam, the good part. Fast forward to that. But you know, like the, the story that Paul is living right now, uh, it wasn't originated from him. In all reality, to live as Christ, to die as gain, that was a story that someone else lived before him and showed him what it looks like. To live as Christ, to die as gain, is what Jesus did for you. To live as Christ, what did he do? He came and he served. He said, I have, I have come to rescue people. The healthy don't need a doctor. The sick do. I'm here to help them. I am coming here to release people from the shackles of sin. And he came and he, he, he taught people. He loved people. He spent time with the broken and the needy and the downcast and the outcast. He spent time with them and he was loving them. He was serving them and he was showing them what God is like because he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so God comes down and is dwelling among us. And what does he do? Well, you know what? He does the ultimate what, you, what, what, what looked like the ultimate defeat was in fact the ultimate victory because God came down and then he went on a cross and get this, Jesus, God in flesh, died. Oxymoron doesn't work, but Jesus gave himself up for it. Why? Because in death there was a gain. And guess what Jesus' gain was? You. You, you wouldn't even die for you, but Jesus did. Why? Because you were worth it. The gain of him going to the cross and defeating death and then going and being at the right hand of the throne of the Father was worth it to him because you were worth it to him and you, through Jesus, you are his gain. You're his gain. (laughs) To live as Christ To die is gain. That's the Jesus story. And the story that he saved us through is the story he's calling us to. 
to live as Christ, to die as gain, to serve people just like he did. He's the one who shows us the way. Thomas Chisholm, I don't know if I said his name right, but I gave it a shot, and it's him living for Jesus. He said this, living for Jesus who died in my place, bearing on Calvary my sin and disgrace. Such love constrains me to answer his call. Follow his leading and give him my all. My friends, we can rejoice that when Christ is your life, death is simply a scene change in the eternal story. It's a gain. It's a gain with a lot of reward, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace, because he decided to do that for you, not because you came up with a good story to have as a crutch. This is a story that only God could write because he did it. You can rest in that. So if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life fully to Jesus and have declared him your king, the king of you, because he really is the king, then I wanna give space uh, you can come down and talk to me. You can find me after service. You can talk to one of the elders. Uh, if you know who they are, I would encourage you to talk to someone about what that looks like to surrender your life to him because that's what he calls us to. And then he will take you on an adventure of serving people and then you'll really find out what a good life is. But also, like if, if you're here and you say, yeah, Jesus is my king, well, Jesus people serve people. And it's not in a, I don't want to sound condemning or anything, but if you've not found your place to serve, that's okay. It's all good. It's all good. But I would love, not me, God would love to see you step out in faith and give it a shot. Give just a conversation, just a talk. And we'd love to find you a place to thrive and to serve this body because we all need you. We all miss out if you don't serve each other. We're all parts of the body through Jesus and he's given you a gift to share. And the benefit is, I get the benefit from your gift, you get the benefit from my gift and it's one big, happy, messy family, the church. Let's pray.